Welcome to Breaking Bread. Welcome to Fellowship in the Word with Minister Daniel Abola. Here is where you receive insights about God's Word that will stir you to action. Be blessed. Alright, so the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Please ready your Bibles. We are moving together. Going verse by verse. Want to unpack want to unpack um, the intention of the writer. I want to get the context of what the writer is saying. Hallelujah. So we're going to um, employ a lot of hermeneutical procedures. Hermeneutical meaning, you know, um, interpreting of texts. Praise God. So Romans chapter 1, verse 1, um, the writer Paul starts with a salutation, as he always does. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Praise God. Some things are outrightly self-explanatory. Do you understand? Like verse 2, he says, which he had promised are for by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. That's, there's no deep rave there. Hallelujah. Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ and Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, that is, a direct descendant. He was part of the lineage of King David. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Verse 5 By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Hallelujah. So he's still talking about Jesus here. Um, verse 6, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So he starts his letter properly to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Praise God. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So he's telling them that he prays for them. He's proud of them. Um, their faith has been made an example throughout all the world. And so he's praying for them. Verse 10, make a request, if by any means now, at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. So he's praying that God um, helps him come to them, come to pay them a visit. Verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gifts to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Praise God. Verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I proposed to come to you, but was led hitherto. So, but was let see that to means that he wasn't allowed. Do you understand? He wasn't able to. That I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So he was saying that there were times he would have come to them to, um, what, what he means by have some fruit, it means to, he was basically talking about teaching the word, raising disciples. Do you understand? Pouring himself into the people, even as among other Gentiles. For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, 
as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Praise God. So the Jews were God's covenant people and promise was originally to them. In fact, that was why that was why Peter Peter protested or did or disagreed with God when God um showed him in a trance his plant that is in um what's the word now? It was symbolic of what God wanted to do, what the new work he, the new movie wanted to start. And so Peter Peter disagreed with God. Said no Lord. You know, praise God. So they they believed it was their right. And of course it was their right. Do you understand? It was their right. So that's why. Um to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. I'm going to come back to that. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Um, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Hallelujah. So, Paul starts building a point here. This was the first point he starts making. Um, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all ungodliness, whatever form of ungodliness, um, and the unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness? So he's talking. Uh, he's talking here first to those who were without the um, the law. He's talking here first to the Greeks, and you see that in a few. Verse nineteen: Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without an excuse. All right, let me pull up another translation because it's important that in Bible study, place translations side by side. Now, if you have if you have the NLT, I I always recommend NLT. NLT is is really good. It simpl it simplifies things without watering it down. So NLT is a very good transition. I use NLT. I use it side by side with NKJV. Cheese. Okay. So from verse seventeen, NLT. It says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. So they push these ones push the truth away from themselves. Praise God. So he, you get an idea that he's not talking to um, the Jews. He's not talking to God's covenant people. Praise God. Uh, verse 19. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. Praise God. And then he says in verse 20, I'm going back to... NKJV. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Praise God. So he's making an argument that even those who have who have not received those people who were not covenant, who were not um part of the covenant, who were not covenanted, he's saying that God has put his knowledge in their hearts. And how did God put his knowledge in their hearts? He says, since the creation of the world, his even his invisible attributes are clearly seen. He says, you can understand these attributes by the things that are made. Praise God. So from the things that God created, you can get a sign. Hallelujah. You can get an idea. If you are a wise person, you can get an idea that there is a creator. Praise God. He says his invisible attributes are seen. Are not just seen, they are clearly seen. They are clearly seen by the things that are made. Praise God. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. God, God leaves his signature on everything that he has made. Like an artist, like an artist, you know, they have their own style of of painting. If you're a painter, they have their own, if you're a painter or a sculptor, they have their own specific style to it. And they have ways of markings. You know, markings that you can use to trace them back to the um the creators. Praise God. I was reading um I was doing research on how, on how um, books of the Bible, how the books of the Bible were chosen. And the publication I read, they cited an example of how that um, artists of, of old, do you understand? Artists of old, they were able to trace their artworks to the artists by their style of painting. The style they used in painting, praise God, it creates a peculiar signature of them. It just tells, just tell in a way, tells of the person who made the art piece itself. Do you get? All right. Verse 21, it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So the Bible implicitly states that no one is without the knowledge of God. Everyone, everyone has the knowledge of God. Praise God. It does not make, does not make excuses for anybody. Everybody has the knowledge of God. It says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Pre professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals. So they began to, they began to worship idols. If you look closely, you see that what the writer Paul was pointing at was that number one, everybody has the knowledge of God. That's the first thing he points out that everybody has the knowledge of God. Praise God. The second thing he points out is that there are some people that, okay, some people intentionally it's not that they don't know that there is god they know that there is god but they intentionally reject the truth they intentionally reject the truth praise god says for god puts this knowledge in their hearts 
says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They knew. They knew. But they are intentionally rejecting God's word. Praise God. <clears throat> Verse 4. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So, um, KJV will say, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Give them over to a, to a reprobate mind. So, what the writer is actually talking about, actually talking about is reprobacy. He's talking about reprobacy. Knowing the truth of God's word and intentionally rejecting it. Knowing the truth of God's word and intentionally rejecting it in order to please your own self. Praise God. Nobody is without the knowledge of God. Everybody knows. Even if you do not agree, even if you do not agree, even if you, you've not found sufficient proof, everybody, you must have at least had some way. You must have at least had some way that there is a God. Praise God. You must have had some way. Even if you, you, you have not believed or you've not found sufficient proof. Praise God. Hallelujah. I hope we're following. Okay. Verse 25. It says, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creator rather than the creator? So they intentionally exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They intentionally exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So they know. These people that the writer is talking about, they know. They know that there is God. Verse 26. For this reason, God gives them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Let me read this part in NLT. Verse 26. It says, This is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the, of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. I want us to talk about that verse 27. I want us to talk about that verse 27. Um, but before that, okay, so let me read that verse 27 on NKJV. It says, likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? Receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. KJV says, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. So, the punishment, the penalty which was due, was not necessary. Remember, the, the verses before said that God had given them over to a reprobate man. Do you understand? God had already, God had abandoned them to their shameful desires. So it wasn't God that was punishing them. Do you get what I'm saying? God didn't punish them. What they received was the consequence of their sins. Do you get Many of, statistically, you are more you are more prone to certain diseases when, um, I mean, okay, let me put it this way. Statistically, homosexuals are more prone to diseases, sexual diseases. Do you get what I'm saying? So 
the penalty they received, the penalty they received was the re, um, result or the or the consequences of their action. So, for ex another example is incest. When a child is born through incest, what happens is that it's it starts to corrupt the generation of that offspring. They become weaker. You understand? Because they are of the same um they have the same blood, they have the same um what is it called now? What's that biological word? But because they are the same, it's brother and sister. They are, yeah, they have the same genes. Do you understand? So it in a way corrupts it, it makes the it makes that child weaker. It, that child will grow up with a lot of sicknesses, will be more prone. Do you understand? So what it means is that corrupting the natural order that God has put in place has its consequences. Do we do we get what I'm saying? It has its consequences. It's what we call depravity. Depravity. Scripture talks about this that animals were not um, wild. They were not wild or domesticated animals before the fall. But after the fall, they were now wild and they, uh, domesticated animals. Do we get what I'm saying? So, um, I mean, it's something that is evil that has even been prophesied in scripture that as a result of the fall. The, this our world, this earth, is doomed for destruction. It's doomed for destruction. So things will get more morally depraved. Things will get more morally depraved. I was checking some some weeks ago. It's in weeks. Yeah, I'll just say weeks. Some weeks ago, the life expectancy for someone in Nigeria, 54. 54. Who did we offend? Life expectancy. Praise God. That means I've, I've passed half. According to, <laughs> according to them. Praise God. And it was not so in the beginning. In the beginning, men lived. Men lived long. The oldest man, Mitzela, lived 965 each for 965. Praise God. So, things will just keep getting more depraved. And so, what they received in themselves with the consequences of their actions, you go against the natural order that God has set. Praise God. Scripture says that when God created things, He saw that it was good. So that it was good. Praise God. So what they received in themselves were the consequences. Men, men sleeping with men. This problem, God will not, God will not do anything to you. It is, it is what you are doing to yourself that will end up killing you. Now I don't know. Doesn't it freak you out that the Bible made a lot of, made a lot of prophecies. I spoke about these things that in the last days, perilous times will come. And right now, we are in those last days and those things are happening. And some people still pick issues with the Bible, pick issues with scripture. Even if, even if you do not agree with certain things, at least these things that it prophesied about are happening. Well, it's part of what it's part of what the writer is talking about. Privacy, intentionally. Praise God! It's not that these days. It's not that people are not aware. It's not that people are not aware of God. People know. People know. I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, and we were talking about how that um, in the older days. They were, I'm talking about the generation of our parents. There was just a unanimous agreement that God exists. Do you understand? Every all our parents, if not all, most of them, they they had a Christian life. They went to church. 
they prayed. Everybody had this fear of God in their hearts. Praise God. And of, of course, there was proof too. They saw miracles. They saw signs. They saw wonders. Hallelujah. But this day, it's not that it's not that people don't know God does not exist. They intentionally reject the truth. They intentionally reject the truth. So what we are what the battle now is what the battle now is is not it's not really against um it's not really against falsehood, it's against reprobacy. It's against people who know the truth. They know the truth of God's word, but they say no. Say no, we are not we are not accepting this. Praise God. Hallelujah. Alright, let's continue. Let's continue. Verse 28. And even as they did not re- like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. I'm reading from NKJV. Verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, <laughs> undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Can you see this? Praise God. I mean, as as I just read all of these, now just all that came to my mind is this this generation of God. Could it? It's definitely wrong. We don't kill. You will kill me. Praise God. Says who knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do do the same, but they also approve. They approve of those who practice them. Praise God. They they've now they now form communities. You know. We are, we support this, we support that. Praise God, they approve of these things. They approve of those who practice them. The main idea behind reprobacy is that God gives you over to you. God leaves you. He abandons you to yourself. And so it is hard. You know, um, I joined um, Fayez, um Bible study community yesterday, and we were talking about something similar, you know, reprobacy. We were doing a study on the book of Hebrews, and then he says in chapter 6, a very hard statement, especially in the body of Christ, that those who have tasted of, um, have tasted of the new life, they've drank of the Holy Spirit, it says those who have done this and then fall away. Fall away. What it means fall away, what he was trying to say there is that intentionally make a public dis- declaration that there are no more believers. It say it says that it is hard. So maybe we should take a detour. Let's just take a quick detour. Hebrews six from verse four. He says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and having tasted the heavenly gifts and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Praise God. What he was trying to say, he was talking about believers. These guys were actual believers. They had they were they were partakers of the Holy Ghost. 
partakers. It says, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves again the Son of God afresh, and to put an open to put him to an open shield. Praise God. It says it is impossible. Well, so because this is a very it's a very controversial topic in the in the body of Christ. People don't like talking about it because there is this um general argument that a believer cannot lose his or her salvation. And I can't say, okay, a believer can or a believer cannot, because it was not um, expressly stated in the Bible. Do you get what I'm saying? It was not expressly stated in the Bible that, oh, a believer can lose his or her salvation if, but he's saying something here. And he was describing believers. And what he, what I believe he means. So he was talking about, he was also talking about reprobate people. People, now these ones, these ones had received the Holy Spirit. They had been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And then they intentionally fell away. They intentionally said they are no more doing. So I guess what, what the writer was trying to say there is that you, so he said something that um, they are making a public, they are making a public show of Christ. They are crucifying to themselves they being Christ, because how can you taste Christ? How can you taste the Holy Spirit? Praise God! He says they have tasted of the powers of the world to come. How can you experience all that and then still turn your back? Praise God. It means that what you are trying to say is that what Christ did on the cross was not sufficient for you. It means what they are trying to say. Because you are tasted of the Holy Spirit, you have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. You are tasted of the good word of God and of the powers of the world that is to come. And yet you turn back. You t How can you experience all of that and still turn back? Praise God. So many people make an argument that it is either, you know, they were not really Christians, they were only pretending, blah, blah, blah. But the scripture says what it says. Hallelujah. So, okay, verse 27. So, reprobacy, it alienates you from God. Not you, it's like you alienating yourself from God. It, you put yourself in a position where God himself cannot reach you. God himself is handicapped to be able to reach you because you have rejected the truth. You have rejected it. And like my um, spiritual father will say, um, reprobacy, when the word of God comes to you and, re and you reject it, it does not leave you the same. It doesn't leave you the same. There's something called hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. So the more you reject the word of God, the more, the harder your heart is. The harder your heart is. Praise God. And so it's just, it's, it's hard. It becomes very difficult. I don't know if you've, you've come across people that you just don't, you've tried everything you can. <laughs> you've tried everything you can to reach them, but because I know someone like that. So even... So if we bring up the word God, ah, I don't, I don't mean it. <laughs> I don't mean it. Now, how, how do you want to change somebody like that? Somebody that you can never bring up God near them. How do you want to change someone like that? Praise God. So that's the kind of position it puts you. We're done with chapter one. Chapter two. From verse one. It says, Therefore you are inexcusable oh man whoever you are who judge for in whatever you judge for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things praise god so he's turning he's turning so in the first chapter he was addressing those who were without the law praise god those who did not have those who that God did not come to them and say, 
this is my covenant. I want you to be my people. You know, it was only the Israelites that God gave the law. You understand? So he addressed those who were without the law in chapter one, says saying that even though, even though, even though, even though, even though the Lord did not come to you, even though the Lord did not come to you, the invisible things of him were clearly seen. So you don't have any excuse. Now, he's turning to the Jews, those who were with the Lord. He's saying, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge or not, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this old man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you escape the judgment of God? Let me read NLT so that some people don't um, get you wrong. Verse 3, NLT. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and not judge you when you do them too? Don't you realize how kind, thought, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? But no, you won't listen. So you are storing up terrible punishments for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. For there is going to come a day of judgment when God, the judge of all the world, will judge all people according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, those who live for self, who refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So inasmuch as they are claiming that uh, the what is it called? Salvation, righteousness is first to Jews and and then for the Gentiles. Same thing with judgments. Judgments will come to the Jews first, and then the Gentiles. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentiles. For there is no partiality with God. Hallelujah. God will punish the Gentiles when they sin, even when they never had God's written law. And he will punish the Jews when they sin, for they do have the law. For it is not merely knowing the law that brings God's approval. Those who obey the law will be declared right in God's sight. Hallelujah. So the Jews camped around what, what, um, what their privilege was, so to speak, was that they had the oracles of God and they were satisfied with that. They just, they were proud that they were the nation that God committed the, um, the covenants to, that God, that God gave the covenant to. Praise God. That was their pride. That was their own security. And they thought that that alone was enough to give them eternal life. Praise God, are we together? So Paul is saying, for it's not only knowing the law that brings God's approval. It's not only having the law. Praise God, it is those who obey the law that will be declared right in God's sight. Even though in the following chapters, Paul explains that nobody can actually fulfill the law. Praise God, because sin in our members made the law weak. So in the end, in the end, we are all in the same boat, but we are not there yet. Verse 14, even when Gentiles who do not have God's written law. Okay, yeah, this is, this is a very particular verse. Verse 14, listen. Even when Gentiles 
who do not have God's written law, instinctively follow what the law says. They show in their hearts they know right from wrong. Praise God, are we together? They demonstrate that God's law is written within them, for their own consciences either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. Praise God. So, what he's saying here is that God, even though they had not received tablets, praise God, even though they had not received tablets, and do you know that the reason why most the commandments were written on tablets, it could have been written on paper, but it was written on tablets to show the state of the hearts of the people. They were hard-hearted. Their hearts were hard. And so it was symbolic. Praise God, it was symbolic. That was that is why that God said that a new covenant will I make with Israel, with the house of Israel. I will take away from them the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will put in them a heart of flesh. Praise God. So the tablets, the tablets that they pride themselves in so much. That's all oh, the, the law was given to us, the commandment was given to us. We have our covenant with God. It was actually a state. It was actually the state of their hearts. It was a representation of the state of their hearts. It could have been written on paper. It could have been written in scrolls. Praise God, but it was symbolic for that. And now God is saying that the Gentiles, they did not, God did not give them any commandments, but it was, it is written in their hearts. Praise God. There is something theologians call the moral law. How that even though, um, God, God does not give you any law. God does not say thou shall, thou shall not, thou shall not do this. You will know in your conscience that it is wrong to kill. It is wrong to steal. Praise God. He's saying that they demonstrate that God's law is written within them. For their own consciences either accuse them or tell them that they are doing what is... Their consciences accuse them or tell them when they are doing what is wrong or right. Praise God. So, they had a law in their hearts. And God is saying... Paul is now saying that you who receive the tablets, God will judge you by those tablets. You that did not receive the tablet, but the law is in your heart, God will judge you according to your consciences. Praise God. Verse 16, it says, The day will surely come when God, by Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. This is my message. NKJV says that, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Hallelujah. Verse 17. If you are a Jew, you are relying on God's law for your special relationship with him. You boast that all is well between yourself and God. Yes, you know what, you, yes, you know what he wants. You know right from wrong because you have been taught this law. You have been, the law has told you what is wrong and what is you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a beacon of light for people who are lost in darkness without God. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that in God's law you have, you have complete knowledge and truth. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but you steal. You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but you do it. You condemn idolatry, but you steal from pagan temples. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. I'm reading from NLT, by the way. No wonder the scripture says the world blasphemes the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision is worth something only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. You are no better than someone who didn't even receive the law in the first place. You received it, but you've not fulfilled it. And so you are no better. 
Praise God. Verse 26. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God give them all the rights and honors of being his own people? Hey, do you see this? He's saying, even if the Gentiles who did not receive God's law, if they obeyed, God will give them the right and honor of being his own people. So God does not, in a sense, show favoritism. Because you received the covenant does not mean that um, does not mean that you alone, you God is God is for you, irrespective of what you do. No, that's not true. Praise God. Peter realized this in Acts chapter ten. He came to himself and said, "I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons." It was then he realized that God, because. God had already started calling Cornelius. Cornelius was not a Jew. He was not a Jew. He did not have the law. He did not have the commandments. But scripture says that he was a just man. He was praying. He gave alms. Praise God. He was a respectable person. And in doing so, he fulfilled the law. Do you get what I'm saying? Are we seeing this? Verse 27, in fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will be much better off than you Jews who are circumcised and know so much about God's law but don't obey it. Verse 28, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. Verse 29 says, no. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not a cutting of the body, but a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. This is the circumcision that is of the Spirit. It's not cutting of the foreskin. Praise God. It is the change of heart that the Spirit of God works in you at salvation. Hallelujah. Whoever has that kind of change seeks praise from God, not from people. Chapter 3, I'm just going to run through. This is where, this is the crux of everything. This is the where Paul has been building up to. He says, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of being circumcised? Much in every way. So he's saying this is the advantage. Because to them were committed the oracles of God. They had the privilege of being the oracles of God. They were able, they, they, they kept, they, they had the commandments, praise God. To them, God committed the promise, the promise of Christ. God, God committed it to them. God made the covenant with them. And that was the advantage. That was the only advantage. Praise God. So he's saying that, what is, okay, so he's asking yeah, he's asking a question in verse 3. He says, True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they broke their promises, does that mean God would break his own promises? Verse 4 says, Of course not. Though everyone else in the world is a liar, God is true. As the scripture says, he will be proved right in what he says and he will win his case in court. Okay. Yeah, NKJV says, Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true. But every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Praise God. Verse 5. But some say, some say our sins serve a good purpose. For people will see God's goodness when he declares us sinners to be innocent. Isn't it unfair then for God to punish us? That is, the, that is actually the way some people talk. I'm reading from NLT. I should just read from KJV. All right. So verse 5. Something interesting is happening. Paul is saying some people are making excuses for their sins. They say that, is it not good for us to sin so that people will see God's goodness when he declares that, you know, we that are sinners have been made righteous. You know, um... Paul said in, if you read chapter 5, some people 
say, we're now saying that um, it is good for us to sin so that the goodness of God, you know, the graciousness of God, the the mercy of God will be revealed in our lives. We are showing other people that even though we sin, God still forgives us. God is good. Risk of it's called um it's called antinomialism. Antinomialism. And it is what um the book of James is about. That's what James James was adding. If you read if you read um the book of James from that context, he was addressing antinomials. Taking taking the grace of God for lasciviousness. Because God is merciful. That was why Paul was now asking in Romans chapter 6 that should we continue in sin that grace may abound. So because, because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You now want to use that as an excuse to keep sin. Okay, let me, I'm reading from NKJV. What if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God? What shall we see? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Certainly not. For for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my light to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? Praise God. So some people were still arguing that how can God judge and condemn me as a sinner if my sin proves that he is just? Is the dangerous here of some people? Why should God condemn me now when my my sin proves that he is righteous? Praise God. Verse 8. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come as we are. Okay. okay. Praise God. Let me just jump. Yes, I'm not supposed to jump, but I will jump. Praise God. Oh. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Praise God. So he's saying here that nobody is better. No one person is better than the other. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tongue. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. It's using metaphors here. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Praise God. So he's saying that God gave the law, God gave the law so that people will see how guilty they are. Praise God. God for example, now, if I call on funny don't know. I say, in funny though, just out of the blue, I I don't know I don't know in funny though, and I call in funny though and say, in funny though, you must not steal. Stop stealing. Praise God. Doesn't that mean that I must have, in a way, deduced that in funny though steal? Do you get what I'm saying? If you don't steal, why will I come to you and say, stop stealing? It's not good to steal. Praise God. So the law was given to them so that they will know that they are guilty. God is telling you to stop stealing because you steal. God is telling you to stop killing because you kill. I mean, it's even funny that God has to tell you. Praise God. That's why, that's why the things that God did in the old covenant were symbolic. Were symbolic. A wise man would have seen that this is what God is trying to tell us. Everything was symbolic. I mean, God is right. Haven't you thought about how absurd it is 
that God gives you ten commandments, and you would think that the commandments are, you know, you must do this when you wake up, but the commandments are, you must not love any other God than your God. I mean, after all the things that God did for them, right from the from um from the plagues in Egypt to the Exodus to the crossing of the of the Red Sea, must God still tell them to love Him? So God still needs to tell them. I mean, if <laughs> bringing it to just our normal interactions with people. If someone does something huge for you, you just feel indebted to the person that, ah, this person is my guy. I, I, I need to come through for, you want to come through for this person. So God still needed to write it on tablets of stones that you must not love. It was just symbolic of the hardness of their hearts. Everything was just symbolic. It was trying to tell them that you people do not have a right standing this is who you are. You are not doing well. It was supposed to reveal to them um, their infirmities, their shortcomings. It was supposed to make them accept it. It was supposed to make them accept it. Praise God. In fact, after Moses had gone up the mountain, spent 40 days, came back with the tablet of stones, they were already breaking the first four commandments. As it was as it was coming down, they had already made the calf. You know, they were already breaking it. <laughs> oh God. I hope we get what I'm saying. Uh verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the so he says that the verse 19, what he was saying in verse 19 was that the law was given to them so that the world would become guilty before God. The world we know that we are not doing well. You'll be able to acknowledge that they are, they are sinners, that in and of themselves, they are inadequate. Praise God. So verse 20 is saying, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Because for by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Praise God. The law was supposed to make you aware of your sin. The law was supposed to make you aware of your sin. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Hallelujah. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. It says verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Hallelujah. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by, by what by what law of works? No. But by the law of faith. He's saying we can there's no boasting, but only boasting by faith. I can boast. I can boast right now that I'm righteous by faith. I can stand anywhere and say it. Not because of what I did to qualify for righteousness, but because of what Jesus did, I can boast. I can say I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because of my faith, when you ask me, how can you make this claim? How can you say that you are righteous? I will say, by my faith in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Verse 29. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So, verse 31 was him setting another precedence. Hallelujah. But we are not going into that this evening. 
Hallelujah. I think I've I've talked enough. Praise God. We've come to the end of our Bible study.